501 Crossroads is your show all about nonprofits and people that make the mission happen. I'm Marjorie Moore, Executive Director of Mind's Eye, and my personal mission is to make nonprofits stronger by identifying and fixing the rubs that so often come up between people and the mission. And my fabulous co-host, Natalie Jablonski, the Nonprofit Ninja, is here. Hey, specializing in helping nonprofits maximize their time, talent, and resources to achieve organizational greatness. Welcome. Welcome back. I'm so <laughs> glad we're here, and I am so excited about our guest today. Me too. So I'm. this is like our first returning guest. So she actually came back, which is kind of a surprise. Right. It means we must be hopefully doing something right, right? Yeah. So Mary Valoni joined us uh, for our fourth show where we learned about how to create high-performing fundraising committees, and she's back. And guess what? What? She has written a book. So (laughs) welcome, Mary. Tell us a little bit about you and remind us of your background for those who maybe didn't catch the first fourth show. Someone didn't catch the fourth show? (laughs) I know. Okay, so if you're listening to this, stop, go back, listen to that one, and then listen to this one. Awesome. (laughs) Yes. Thank you guys so much for having me back again. I I loved our first episode that we did together. And um, this is so much fun. Yeah, my, my background is with nonprofits. Of course, I've had 15 years of experience as a development director and um, moved into management with the American Cancer Society. So I, my, my three major nonprofits I worked with was Special Olympics, the ALS Association, which is known as Lou Gehrig's Disease, and then the American Cancer Society. And then about two years ago, I went out on my own and um, started my consulting business, Mary Valoni Consulting. So it was um, perfect just to roll right into writing books and um, starting to get my message out there. Awesome. What, what I love about that is that you could say now that, well, I've, I've written the book on that, literally. Yeah, literally. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. Yeah. And the the book that I wrote, Fundraising Freedom, really came from all those years of doing it wrong. So it's been a lot of fun to be able to put it on paper and show what to do right. <laughs> oh, I bet. I bet that could probably a little liberating in some ways. Yeah it's, yeah. it's one of those things that like this book has been weighing on me for way too long. So oh, it's absolutely. nice to have it have it done and ready to, to get into other people's hands. <laughs> so did you always know you wanted to write a book or what really inspired you to write it? Yeah. So about eight years ago, I knew I was going to write this book. Oh, wow. But um, but I've, I've wanted to write for a long time. So my, a good friend of mine, I was just sharing with Marjorie that um, we, we had wanted to write a long time ago. And I stopped kind of mid-writing of that book and was like, I need to write a fundraising book. That's what I do. That's what I love. And so this book then, um, you know, a couple of years ago, I knew that it was time. So I started just jotting down notes, but I was waiting for the right timing of it all to actually have the ability to sit down and get get exactly what I wanted done on paper. So yeah, this last year has really been dedicated to making this book a reality. That's fantastic. So now this you've got seven steps to fundraising freedom. Yep. Without spoiling the book, <laughs> what are the seven steps? <laughs> yeah. So the the seven steps actually roll out the word freedom. So it's pretty easy to read. I always tell people just just get that into memory because it makes it so much easier to thumb through the book to go into the steps that you want to go into. So so the F of freedom is focus your vision, and then we've got run your research. The R. The E is enlist your team, and then enhance your brand. Deploy your team. And then organize your ask. And the last one, the M is make a difference. So, and of course, celebrate. And so I, I want at the very end, you know, so many times we jump right to making the ask. As fundraisers, it's easy just to say, Hey, let's just go ask a bunch of people. We'll just send out, you know, this huge mailing or we'll just put it out on TV and everybody will come running to us. Right. right. <laughs> and that is not the case at all. So, so the whole plan, what I did was I had raised a half a million dollars with the American Cancer Society on a first year event and 
I had been doing it wrong for five years prior to that. So when I came into the American Cancer Study, I was like, I am going to soak up as much information as I can from my mentors. And I worked under a gentleman who had been with the organization for nearly 40 years. So he had seen tons and tons of events and especially successful events. So I was just like a sponge on him. I was like, whatever he said, I was going to take. And that's really what happened was I I took all that information. We had an extremely successful first year event with a half a million dollars. And then I was like, okay, well, how did we do it? You know, like after it was all said and done, I was like, okay, there's a secret to this. There's, there's really something special here that we can pull apart. So that's what I did was I pulled that $500,000 event all the way back and went from the very beginning. How do we create this thing from the ground up? So if somebody is just learning how to fundraise, they can take the steps from the book and they can jump into any part of the book and really find that there's a, a place for them to learn from the ground up or to jump in wherever they're at with their organization. Well, first off, kudos to you, because I can't tell you how many times as someone in fundraising or worked with fundraising team members that I have had this situation where we have an event and we are all so exhausted from it and we high five and we're like, oh, my gosh, I'm so glad it's over. And then we don't think about it again until it's time to ramp up. Right. So the fact that you acknowledged that something went right and then said, what was it? I think that's that's a key factor mm-hmm. that I, a lot of times fundraisers forget is they're almost scared to look behind the curtain <laughs> because they're like, I don't know what it was, but I got to figure it out. And so going back and digging through that. Just really, uh, that's a good lesson to take away yeah. just from this show alone. If you're not already doing that, what a great place to start, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, and I had done that, replicated that event five years over and over till, until I got moved up, promoted, because obviously now I was starting to teach people in the organization how to do what we were doing. So when I moved up into management, now I was overseeing seven staff who were doing their own events. So I really was throughout the entire process looking at, okay, how do I train on this? How do I teach what we did? Mm-hmm. Because they were asking me to go speak. Okay, now I want you to go lead this at the, this next convention or conference that we're at, you know, so, so that was really great for me, great training ground to write the book. And then um, I took on some coaching consultants or coaching clients this last um, couple of years just to start to use the information and say, okay, what do you think about this? So I had some test uh, fundraisers who were walking through it too, you know, just to make sure that, hey, this can be replicated over and over again. And I've seen it replicated over and over again. So it really does work. Wow. So I got to read the first couple chapters. Yay. So good. <laughs> I really loved it. Um, one of the things that I really loved was that you start the book out with talking about actually asking the re- reader do you really want to be a fundraiser? Yeah. And I think so many of us fall into it because like we were the ones that said, yeah, I guess I'll do that. I, so tell us, what does somebody need to be really successful? In sure. Well, and it's funny because a lot of times people say, well, I, n- I never like as a kid said, oh, I want to be a fundraiser when I grow up. Right. <laughs> I don't think that was ever an option in kindergarten right. when they went around on career day, right? <laughs> exactly. Or when it was bring your parent to work day. I don't ever remember any parents saying I raise money for a nonprofit for a living. Like, mm-hmm. so it wasn't really, I think. My mom did. Well, your yeah. mom is a super mom, though. <laughs> We've talked about this before. Uh, but it just wasn't a really common factor to see as opposed to, I think, now it's almost like it's just much more um, open and people yeah. talk about it. And it's actually a career path. So. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I loved was that it was like, OK, I kind of fell into this. It wasn't like, oh, this was my calling in life. I thought it was going to be like a veterinarian or something, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so when I when I found fundraising and I, I put this in the book, how, you know, I had done the whole, you know, 
chocolate cookie, you know, chocolate bars, you know, selling those at a dollar when you're in kindergarten and first grade. And then as I moved up through the years in high school, I was doing fundraisers to do, um, to travel with national organizations like DECA and FBLA. Um, but eventually I realized that I was like, wow, I love to fundraise. Like I love the whole process of fundraising, but I've noticed that there's a lot of people who don't love fundraising yeah. and, and they say, do not ask me to ask anyone for money. Cause that is not my thing. And I'm sure everybody can attest to that, that there's volunteers and people within the organization. There's that listeners do right not. now that are yes. saying, amen, that's amen. me. Right. <laughs> exactly. And I have found that it's like, I mean, I love fundraising because of the journey that our donors go through. So it's, you know, they go from being a stranger to being so passionate about your cause that they want to go tell everybody about it. And then they raise money and other people start giving. And so, and then ultimately you get to make a difference in, in, you know, the clients that you, that you serve. So, but I do think that some people, you know, get into fundraising because they, they want a job. Right. And so it's, and it's not that kind of a position. This is, you have to have, I, I think that you have to have integrity, immense integrity. You know, you have to be able to motivate other people and be driven to make a difference in other people's lives. Because if somebody's going to give you an investment of money, they need to know that they can trust you, that you're actually going to be somebody who's actually going to do with it what you say you're going to do with it. So there's a lot of those things. And to motivate other volunteers and people to be a part of your cause, you have to be able to do that. But um, you also have to have a lot of energy and be willing to be a servant, you know, to serve other people and let them take the spotlight and not you be the person right. who's taking the spotlight. Because so often, I mean, I've, I've gotten a few standing ovations in my time, but I never anticipated that ever happening. <laughs> not just because I, I didn't want the spotlight. I didn't, you know, that's not why we do what we do. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the end, um, when I got to see the lives being changed through our organization, that was the joy. And when donors felt so good about what they gave to, that's what made me so happy and what fulfilled me. So, so I do think that everybody has different reasons why they're a part of a nonprofit. But in the end, you hope that, um, the, that they're there for the right reason. And in the end, that shows to the people who want to be a part of your cause. So if you don't feel like you're fit for the job, I'm always like, remove yourself. <laughs> I mean, don't, don't even get started in it because right. yeah, it doesn't do you a benefit. It doesn't do your organization a benefit if you're just not, if you're just there for the job. And there are people out there who just like myself who fell into it because mm-hmm. they needed someone. I had some of those qualifications. I thought, wow, I'll try this. But the question just becomes, and Marjorie, I'm glad you asked the question that you did about being successful. Are you successful at it? Are you comfortable with it? Is it something that you feel like you can grow in? And then to be able to follow your true north and say, yes, I'm all in. Or this was an interesting experience and thanks for the opportunity, but I need to go in a different direction. <laughs> yep. uh, and if you can't be true to yourself, then you're really not being true to your donors and your mm-hmm. nonprofit and people will see through that yeah. and you won't be successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I just, I can't, I've had a hard time watching so much turnover happen because I mean, that happens because of, you know, expectations on both ends not being right. met. And so if you come into the position knowing what the expectations are, you'll be much more successful at the position. Raise all the money. Yeah. <laughs> and and I've heard so many people say, I'm really good at fundraising. And you'll say, great. What, what do you do well? And they're like, well, I do really great events or I do really great annual pay. I'm a great writer. And so then when you talk to them about that direct solicitation, oh no, that really makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. And I'm like, it's all the same. Kind of part of the job. So how does yeah. that work? So it's really a matter of being able to know your comfort zone. Don't yeah. you think for yep. success? Absolutely. Yep. And be willing to try lots of new things because not everything's going to work for your organization. Okay. So yeah, that, you got to be willing. Trial and error. That's exactly. A good, that's a good point. So <laughs> yep. it's kind of an investigation, if you will. Yep. Exactly. Speaking of investigation. 
Yeah. You mentioned in the books that you book that you became Sherlock Holmes. Tell yes. us about that. Yeah. So <laughs> the second step is run your research. And it at first I was like, oh, Sherlock Holmes research. But yeah, um, my mentor was his very first piece of advice to me was be Sherlock Holmes. So get in there and do your research. And my my number one volunteer who came in for that first event, she also said she's like, I am obsessed with researching people because I want to know exactly what I'm walking into. And I also want to show them that I care. So um, being like Sherlock Holmes just means that you're willing, you can take, um, you can get broad observations off of minute details. So let's just say that you're on social media and you pick up that someone just lost a lot, you know, lost someone to a specific disease. And that disease happens to align with your organization. You know, you start to, to observe what people are interested in. If they talk about their dog all the time, like, I mean, there's probably a chance that they're passionate about, you know, pet organizations. So you start to pull those research, those components out of um, their lifestyle, their family, what it is that they do in their their spare time, and you find out whether or not they have the ca- the capacity to do something for you and your organization. I also look at that as being I'm not going to ask somebody to be my lead volunteer, the chair chair of my next event, if I see that they're extremely overwhelmed in their life with loss or death or you know whatever else is coming into their life. Their child is just graduating from high school, but you know what? Next year their child is graduating from high school, and now they have an empty nest. Mm -hmm. So now I can see that next year they're going to have a lot more time in their hands and it might be good timing for me then to invite them to serve in a larger capacity. So I just want when you're doing your research that you start digging in and you find you start finding out about what other people are doing. Also, your competition, your allies, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I I want you to know what everybody else is doing so that, you know, your lane, you know exactly where you fall and how you're different from everyone else. So. I think a good opportunity to, when you have some of that research and that knowledge too is using it at your discretion. Yes. To, and, and as opposed to opening the whole book, you know, in front of them, but I use the example of knowing someone's leaving for college so they'll have more time. Mm-hmm. Let them in on the secret. I think that's a big thing uh, that I see fundraisers that they do wrong. They hold all that information because they have a plan in their head and then they're shocked when it doesn't work out because yeah. someone's already gotten to that person. Yeah. <laughs> so you plant the seed by saying, Absolutely. you know, uh, I was going to ask you, Jeanette, if you would help us this year, but I recognize you've got so much going on right now with John getting ready to graduate. So I was thinking maybe next year when he's off to college, let's talk about a leadership role that might work. Now you've planted a seed. You've mm-hmm. acknowledged that you recognize them as a person they don't feel any pressure and they can tell you right away if there's a huge conflict, like, oh, well, I haven't said anything to you yet. We're kind of keeping it a secret. But when John leaves for college, we're retiring and moving yeah. to Vegas. I mean, yeah. <laughs> these are things that you can know ahead of time so that if someone Got else would it. approach, it really, you know, you've been able to use that information to your advantage. So absolutely, as much as we love research, you also have to know when to play that research mm-hmm. card, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. You got it. <laughs> That's a very Sherlock Holmes type yes. of move. You know what you're doing over there. <laughs> So you told us to research allies, competition, prospects. The one that surprised me in the book was researching yourself. Yeah. Why should we put some time into that self? introspection. Yeah. Well, it, in the end, what happens usually is that we take ourselves out of the game. Mm-hmm. So when somebody leaves an organization or, you know, as they're doing research about somebody else, they think, well, gosh, my volunteers aren't doing anything. <laughs> you know, like I recruited them. I got them all plugged into my organization, but they're not doing what I want them to do. Well, and in the end, what usually happens is it's probably something that we did. It's something that it was our weakness. Mm-hmm. It was our error. And so that's where I want you to do your research on yourself to find out 
what are you good at? You know, what are, where are your weaknesses? Where are your holes that you need volunteers to step in and, or other staff to fill, fill those gaps? But I also, I was, I used an example in there about, um, about an athlete who was talking about he won the, won national championship. And so what was it that got him to that place? And he said, basically he avoided burnout, you know, which is, Something that we have a, a, an easy time just getting burnt out on what we're doing, um, avoiding injury, you know, making sure that we we take care of ourselves. We're always learning something new, you know, that we're we're working on our craft. Mm-hmm. So that's the problem is we we tend to get into fundraising. We we learn it once and then we think we've got it all figured out. <laughs> and then what happens is the outside world, technology, everything else starts changing on us and we aren't so quick to modify. So I just I want us to make sure that we know ourselves that we're really good at understanding how quick are we able to jump to the next, you know, thing and like, you know, there's there's a lot of opportunities for people to raise funds with um, matching gifts or, you know, programs that are happening with the, with other companies, but if we're not aware of it and we are just so stuck in our ways, the only reason we're going to fail is because of us, not because of our volunteers or not because we didn't research our competition. So, so anyways, I'm, I'm really big on know you <laughs> because I mean, when I took my job and took the position with the American Cancer Society, I had spent three years with the, with Special Olympics, three years with the, with Lou Gehrig's disease. And then I knew I'm like, okay, it's me. <laughs> like, why am I burning out? You know, why am I burning out after just a few years? And so when I took that position, I was very aware of who I was and who I wasn't. So I'm, I'm not going to be something that I'm not, and I'm going to jump in, and I'm going to know I have a weakness at three the three-year mark. I'm going to kind of waver, so I'm going to set myself up for success and not for failure. So, Well, now, yeah. did you share that information with anyone that helped you to champion staying on track? Yeah, well, um, yeah, actually, with my mentors, when I came in, they were like, oh, my gosh, you're so great because you're actually listening to what we have to teach. And, of course, any <laughs> teacher wants you know people to actually do what they say. That's why they're teaching. Um, but I, I kept on saying that I'm like, I, I do want you to hold me accountable. You know, I, I am aware that this is kind of my pattern. So I want to be here for a long time. But I also noticed with that, with the American Cancer Study when I was there that they were really good about keeping their staff for a long time. So there was something that was really working for them as well, that your voice was being heard, that, um, that there was enough change in from year to year to make it so that those staff wanted to stay longer. So, so that was just something that I was just aware of. And I made sure that, yeah, the people who I worked with, I was like, I, I need a challenge. I'm, I'm very independent. I like to challenge myself. So, you know, let me run with it, you know, right. and, and that was a conversation I did have with my supervisor. That's great that you engage not just your supervisor, but like you said, your team, you know, I really made them aware of here's, here's what I want to do. And here's what I am. And I think sometimes we feel as leaders that we're scared to show weakness, sure. you know, because, uh, you know, no one's allowed to see our weaknesses, you know, yeah. heaven forbid we cry at something that's emotional because <laughs> uh, we're still, you know, we're robots. No, we're human and yeah. we should be allowed to express emotion. We should be allowed to have things that we are improving on, mm-hmm. uh, weaknesses, whatever you want to call them. Yeah. Uh, but you should always have those areas and it's comfortable to share them because I think it makes other people comfortable in sharing theirs. Yeah. And as a team, I think when you start to know where those chips are, then you can kind of fill in a little easier 
and work together. But yeah, absolutely. And that is so true about why do you need a team if you're all the same, you know? So, so when you start recruiting people in or when you're working with a staff team, you do hand off projects. Like my administrative assistant, she was absolutely incredible, but I'm not, I'm not great at data entry. (laughs) Oh, you know, like I love being with people. I'm more outgoing and extroverted, you know? So like sitting down and doing data entry is like totally opposite of, you know? And so a lot of our staff have to do both and that's important. But I had a great team member who was like, Hey, I'll pick that stuff up for you. So we worked out, you know, how do we work, you know, make sure that Mm -hmm. I can sit in my skill set and you can sit in yours and we can be twice as effective. Well, that was one of the things that uh, you had was one of your steps was step three. I yeah. think it is right. Mm-hmm. So enlist your team. But one of the things that I noted that you had mentioned was to really be careful not to be the team yourself. Yes. How, so how do you get staff fundraisers to get over the fear of letting go and really letting volunteers run the show? Is there a secret that you could share with yes. us without spoiling the book? <laughs> yeah, no, and I'm fine to spoil the book because there's a lot more in there than we have talked about. We're all yes. wanting to read yes. every detail anyway. Yeah, but. yeah. So this is so true that it's like, um, you know, we have a hard time ha- passing off any responsibility because yes. we don't want the ball dropped. Mine, 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 yes. right? Yes. And here's the thing. When you have an exceptional team, so I, in step three, I talk about enlisting the team, of course, but I want you to recruit one volunteer. So that lead volunteer, let's say it is an event, um, but it doesn't have to be. It could be a building campaign or something else, but you usually have that lead volunteer, the person who's like the face, the voice. um, They're willing to lend that first gift. They're going to put their name on it, that kind of stuff. Well, that one lead volunteer is going to be exceptional. Like we're not going to recruit just a warm butt in in the seat. You know, we want somebody whose name is recognized that they're very, um, you know, that they're willing to be outspoken about your cause. So when you have somebody that's really good, you want to match them and they want to match you. So that's the whole thing. You build your team up so that they're all really good at what they do. And that's, I think, the secret to it all is that if you have a team that you trust, you know, when when there's trust and people are inspired to be there and they all you know that you have gifts and talents that you can bring to the table, then your whole team is going to rise to a different level. They're all going to be really exceptional. You know that life happens with volunteers, you know, with other staff. I mean, like I mentioned, death, you know, marriage, whatever happens. The holidays. The holidays, exactly. Everybody everybody (laughs) reacts to them differently, right? Yes. But once you know that you have somebody who's gifted in those positions, I mean, I, I did not lose sleep over that one bit. And I was like, you run with it. But communication has to be strong. Mm-hmm. You have to have a good relationship with, you know, with them. And that's why back to being a good fundraiser is that you have to be willing to communicate. And I am such an over communicator mm-hmm. and sometimes to a fault, but I do it because I want to make sure we're very clear that mm-hmm. the expectations are set. And I make sure that every single volunteer has a job description. So when, when somebody gets you know, when I invite them to serve in a role or somebody else on the team, the the lead volunteer says, we want you to serve in this capacity. They know their boundaries. They know exactly right. what is expected of them. So then when the ball is dropped, I know, did I drop the ball? Did they drop? The, you know, like we, we know who dropped the ball. Like right. it's very clear. You know? <laughs> An awkwardness in the room. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that a lot of times volunteers will just over apologize. And then when they apologize so much, then they just back off and yeah. they disappear mm. because they feel bad. They feel yeah. guilty. So if you can continue to say, I know you're busy. I know you're, you, your family, you're going through a rough spout, you know, like that is totally understandable. But if we can get over that awkwardness of, mm. 
it's uncomfortable. Now all of a sudden they know they can trust me. I know that, Hey, if something happens, just call me, let me know. And then I'll make sure that somebody else can step in or so that's really in the end. It's, I think it's just, it's a strong trust you know, relationship that if you, you trust each other and you match each other's level of expectation, you can hand off a lot more than you ever thought you could. Because in, in my first two positions, I was, I held tightly to those, every little thing, logistics, decorations, you name it. Right. I had it all under my little, you know, Cause you had a vision, right? I had a vision. Yes. And so what I did was with the seven step plan is that I want the vision of my volunteers. So this is a strong staff volunteer partnership and I want them to take ownership. I already have ownership. I'm, I'm on staff, right? They already know that I love what I do, but if they love what they do and they're passionate about it, it's going to take your event and your organization to a whole new level because they will go talk about it where I would not because <laughs> they're, they can, they've got contacts and connections that I just don't have. So, so, so that's, that's kind of, that's a yeah. great point. Thanks for clarifying that. I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this book was for fundraisers at a lot of different levels. So how can somebody use this book at the beginning of their career versus maybe in a more experienced fundraiser? Yeah. So we've got everybody listening to yeah, us. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. And that was the thing. I wanted to make sure that somebody who had never fundraised before. So let's just say you wanted to pass it off to your entire staff. Like I, that is really an ideal situation because then when the leader says, Hey, I want you to run with this and I want you to take these, these ideas and steps and implement them. Uh, that's what I wanted for a novice fundraiser. Hey, I can just grab this book and I know exactly what my steps are. But if you're an experienced fundraiser, you probably know, you, like we've been talking here, you know what you need to do, but there's just so much content. You know, mm -hmm. it's like there's, it's overwhelming. It's hard to like really say, well, yeah, we got to, we got to recruit volunteers, but yeah, we got to go ask people too. And, you know, so you start thinking like, I got to thank people. I got to celebrate. I got to, you know, and you, right. it's just so much. So what I tried to do in the book was for an experienced fundraiser is that you can pick it up and grab any part of the book that you're at and you can jump right into that step. So you may already have your mission, your vision statement. You already got time, your timeline and your budget ready to roll. So you wouldn't necessarily need to start at step one, you might be in the research phase or you might be like, hey, we've got our team. We're ready to deploy them. Let's just go jump into step four. So that's the whole process of writing the book was you don't necessarily have to read it cover to cover. But if you're a new fundraiser, it's an easy read. You read the yeah. first three chapters like and two it, hours maybe. Yeah. <laughs> so and that's the whole thing. Somebody can read through this entire book in about three to four hours mm -hmm. and it's super easy. I wanted it very simple for anybody to understand when they're starting off that campaign. So, yeah. Now, it's always interesting to me when I talk to someone who's went through a process like this because they've learned so much, which is the reason they wrote the book. Yeah. But while writing the book, did you discover anything else? Did you learn anything else about yourself or uh, <laughs> about the process that you thought, I pro I'm so glad I wrote it because otherwise I wouldn't have experience this or yeah. this? Oh, absolutely. That was the thing. Going through this entire process, I say, was probably the hardest thing I've ever done. And I put on some big fundraisers <laughs> and I thought, oh my gosh, it's like the reward, you know, like sitting down and writing and writing and writing. But for me, as I mentioned, I was coaching some fundraisers during the process. So as I was reading through or as I was writing the chapters, I was actually implementing each step. And I also posted videos up on my Facebook page and on my consulting page. And so that's how 
helped me a lot just to process the information. But I, I feel like I've become a much better fundraiser myself and I'm, I'm consulting myself. So I've, I've got another half a million dollar fundraiser that <laughs> is happening here in January. So yeah, it's coming up, which is great though, because I'm right there with you. Like I, I never want to put something out there that, Hey, uh, this is what I really do. This is my process from beginning to end. This is not a theory. This no. is a practice. <laughs> yes, this is this is how I'm raising money and how many, many more are. And um yeah, I've learned a, a whole heck of a lot about myself <laughs> and, and how just how um driven I am. Like, cause you know, about halfway through I wanted to just hang it up and be done. But I was like, I, I knew that not only did I need to finish this for myself, but I know that there's so many fundraisers out there that just don't have a tool book. You know, mm-hmm. they don't have a plan and they just are hanging up doing something really exceptional for other non for their nonprofit and for helping people just because they just don't know what to do. So this is really um uh this puts the exceptional yeah. in reach. Yes, yes. And for, you know, just to sit down and read and walk through it and then pull it back out as you're moving along the process right. with your campaign. Right. Yeah. Excellent. So what are some other ways that our listeners can connect with you? Maybe they want a consultant or yeah. maybe they, you know, want to check out those Facebook videos. How, to, how can we get in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. So um, maryvaloni.com and my last name is Valoni, V is in Victor, A-L-L-O-N-I. And that's the best way to reach me. I have on there a, a free PDF of the, the three questions you should ask yourself before your next fundraiser. And um, you can grab that, uh, jump on my email list, and I'll send you out some tips and tools along the way. Um, the book, re- you know, it's coming out very soon, but, but I also do those videos that um, pop up on my consulting page. So that's Mary Valoni Consulting on Facebook, and you can find more information about what I do. I'm also um, releasing a coaching, a seven-step coaching course uh, along with the book. So if you read the book and you're like, hey, this is great, but what does that mean for me? Well, in this coaching course, I, I really, I give you all the templates. I give you the exercises, the questions to ask yourself. So you can do it at your own pace, or you can actually have me coach you along the way. So I love coaching, you know, fundraisers and nonprofit leaders because you get that hands-on one-on-one and we can talk through your specific campaign and give you some um, next steps to take to actually make some, some big strides for your cause. That's amazing. Thank Very you. Awesome. Yeah. So last but not least, like, how do yeah. we get this book? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, the best way is obviously Amazon. A lot of people go there to get their books. You can get my book at maryvaloni.com as well. And of course, any major bookstore, you can order it online um, through their sites as well. But uh, yeah, I just, I hope that people will consider getting it for more than just themselves. But if they're listening and there's a someone in their life that, you know, their church leader or someone who's working with with their school system that they would consider getting that book as a gift for them. So it releases on January 17th and we're taking pre-orders right now. So as you're listening and you're like, Hey, I want this. Um, you can jump on maryvaloni.com or, or Amazon and type in fundraising freedom. Awesome. And we'll probably tell our listeners yes. that when it's ready, ready, but yeah, awesome. that's right. We'll yeah. give a good <laughs> reminder on our, on our website as well. Good. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming in yeah, today, Mary. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Mary. <laughs> And thank you to all of you for joining us at 501 Crossroads. 501 Crossroads is recorded at the studios of Mind's Eye Radio and is produced and hosted by me, Marjorie Moore. And me, Natalie Jablonski. Mike Curtis is our sound engineer. Please go to iTunes or Stitcher or your favorite app and subscribe and leave us, leave us some feedback so others can find us. You can find us on Facebook at 501 Crossroads. Thank you for listening. And remember, we're all working towards the same outcomes. <laughs>